I want to talk to you this morning about the fear of the Lord. And I think this may go into a few Sundays. I'm not sure. I'm kind of afraid of it, quite honestly. There's a lot to talk about when we talk about the fear of the Lord. Fear can be a constructive or a destructive force, depending on the type of fear and how it's used. And this is really a big can of worms as we start to talk about it, so we're going to have to kind of go careful here. There's many facets of fear, and I want to talk about some of those today. I want to talk about the definition of fear, the common types of fear, the sources of fear, and the results of fear. And basically, these are fears in and of this world that are related to our safety. Most of the time when we think of being afraid and fear, we're thinking about the scary kind, the kind that come up and sneak up and scare you, the kind of those um, that you're fearful of your life, you're fearful of, of the, the, the situations that would bring you uh, distress. But there's another kind of fear that we're going to talk about as well, and this is the fear that is a godly fear, a reverential fear, an awe, a reverence, a fear that we all should have a significant amount of. We're going to talk today of a number of Old Testament examples of how God used that kind of fear to help guide his people. And that how as well we should have that kind of fear in our heart and our lives every day. But let me state the premise right at the very beginning of this message and maybe a series of messages. But this is the premise that has been rolling in my heart for the past week or so. And that I believe that we have lost the fear of God in our lives and we've replaced it with the fear of man. And that fear of man encompasses many facets that bring habitual sin, a life of continual defeat, a lack of the power of the Holy Spirit in our life, an overall complacent or a narcissistic perspective in our life, meaning that God's rules are for others. God's perspective is that he's looking at other sin more than my sin. A narcissist, a person that is a narcissistic person, always looks at other people as being worse than him. And that he can justify his behaviors. Or he doesn't see his sin as sin. But it's just the way I am. So accept me the way I am. That's a very dangerous position to be in. If you have narcissistic tendencies, you need help. We all need help because we all tend to have some of it in our life. And some of it's healthy. But when it becomes too severe, narcissism is a very dangerous situation because we don't even know we have it. We don't even recognize it until somebody and with love points it out to us. If we want to hear Jesus say, as our target, 
reminds us every day, every Sunday that I, we come in here, I hope when you look at that, that you think of that target, that you want Jesus to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into your Father's presence and service. Then you need to know that we must have the fear of the Lord. If it is gone, we have some very serious implications. Let's start by giving the definition of fear. Fear is a noun, and it has a number of various definitions. It is a distressing emotion aroused by impending danger, evil, pain, etc. Whether the threat is real or imagined, the feeling or condition of being afraid. It is a concern or an anxiety, a fear for someone's safety. It's a feeling that causes the feeling of being afraid. And then there is the reverential awe, especially towards God. That's the definitions of fear right off the Internet. Common types of fear, according to Wikipedia surveys, some of the most common fears are of ghosts, the existence of evil powers, cockroaches, spiders, snakes, heights, water, enclosed spaces, tunnels and bridges, needles, social, re social rejection, failure, examinations, public speaking, being alone, the future. A lot of common fears. Now, I probably, in that list, probably caught some of yours. I have some significant fears in my life. Fear produces levels of stress or causes other forms of action or reaction that may produce either both good or bad responses. Fear may cause us to be more careful and protect us from potentially dangerous situations, or fear may cause us to miss some important step and put us into even more harm and trouble. It comes in many forms and has many causes. It's a natural emotion that we experience in our life today. It's one that we cannot deny. Nobody in here can say, I'm not afraid of something. Fear is a common emotion. Where does it come from? Fear can be external or it can be internal. It can be real, life-threatening situations or it can be imagined and irrational with no basis. Many, as, many of us have had traumatic things that have happened early in our life that cause fear later in our life. Lots of different causes of fear. I don't even think that we can begin to list them all. So I'm not going to try. But you have your own purpose. You have your own source of your fear. What are some of the results of the fears that we have? There are many results of fear. Some good, some bad. Some, some protect us from injury. Some that are um, unwarranted cause stress that causes more problems to happen. There's a cause and effect with fear. Sometimes it causes depression, anxiety, hypertension, high blood pressure, an overreaction or a paralysis of no action. And the list goes on and on and on. How does God look at fear? What I've just described to you is a humanistic perspective of fear. Something that we all deal with, more or less than others, but we all deal with it. How does God look at fear? 
And how does it relate to our relationship with him? You know what's amazing is that we as human beings will have a tendency to analyze and talk over all kinds of conditions of life. And we will come up with all kinds of reasons and excuses and uh, answers. And many, many times not even talk about God. Not even bring up what God intended for some of these things to happen in our life. So I encourage us all, as we look at this, as we look at this issue of fear, let's look at it from a godly perspective and see how God wants us to deal with this. It is an area that we all have to deal with, and so we might as well just understand that. And let's look at some of the answers that God has for us when it talks about fear. Let me ask you, do you think that fear was in the Garden of Eden? Do you think that Adam and Eve had fear? Well, let's talk about what kind of definition of fear we're talking about. If we're talking about the kind that causes a distressing emotion aroused by impending danger, evil, pain, and etc., no, there was no fear in the Garden of Eden. There was nothing for Adam and Eve to fear. So where did fear come from? If God didn't create fear for us to have to deal with, where does fear come from? Let's understand the basis, the real source of fear. Where does it come from? Sin. When sin entered Adam's and Eve's heart, fear entered along with that sin. Now, there was the reverential kind of fear because Adam and Eve had a real good grasp at least at the beginning, of the fear of God. There's a difference, isn't there? There's a difference of the fear of God and the fear of man. And when we don't operate on a consistent basis and we don't operate and live in a right perspective of the fear of God, then our default is living in a fear of man and of this humanistic in the world that we live in. And there's a big difference. We need to have the fear of God. If we don't have the fear of God, then we will live with lots of consequences in our life. We do not have to live with the fear of man. Do you think there will be fear in heaven? Again, let's look at the definition. There's no fear of impending doom in heaven. There is nothing to fear in heaven besides God's love. But we will have a real reverential fear of God in heaven. And, we've, and, and if we're going to have that in heaven, then we need to have it on earth. So I want to talk about the fear of God and how we need to have that in our life. So what does God see? How does God see the value of fear for us? We can look back at a number of Old Testament examples. And I want to do that for a while this morning because I want to set the basis. I want to set the precedent of having the right kind of fear in our life and how important that it is. So if you would turn in your Bible to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20, verses 18 through 20. And this is talking about when Moses was bringing down the Ten Commandments and was giving the Ten Commandments to the people, to the Israelites. 
And it says, When the people saw the thunder and lightning, and heard the trumpet, and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, Speak to us yourself, and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us, or we will die. Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. These people saw the power of God. They saw the mountain shake. They heard the thunder and saw the lightning and they saw the smoke and they saw the the presence of God. And that brought them a real fear of God. And they said, don't even let God speak to us because he will kill us. Now, was that true? Is God going to kill you when he speaks to you? No, not at all. But what they saw was the power. They saw the reverence. They saw the awesomeness of God. And Moses, in his wisdom, said, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. When God speaks to you, he's not going to kill you. He's going to speak to you. And he wants to instill a fear of God in you, a reverence of him, so, that, so for, one, for one reason, to keep you from sinning. If I have the right perspective of fear, then I won't want to sin. But when I lose that fear of God, then sin has no consequences to me. Because I make up my own laws. But when I understand the power of God, if I could see the mountain quake and hear the thunder and see the lightning and see the smoke billowing out of the mountain, then maybe I will have that same sense of fear. Now, here's the problem, people. We're not going to see the mountains quake. We have to take this by faith. And we have to learn what it is to fear God. Our nation has lost the fear of God. Our nation has lost it. We are no longer a Christian nation. Our government has lost the fear of God. Our community leaders, in most cases, have lost the fear of God. Many churches today have lost the fear of God. We come in and we trivialize church. We come in and we make it a simple thing. We come in and we say, we're coming to church. And we leave just the same as we came in. And when we do that, you have lost the fear of God. See, Jesus says, come as you are. He doesn't say, leave as you are. He says, come as you are and let me change you. If you leave the same way that you came today, then you've lost the fear of God. Something has to happen today. God wouldn't want you to come into his presence today and not change you. And I would be saying the same thing if I was speaking to a, to a room of pastors. If I was singing, uh, speaking to, to the Pope, I don't care who I'm talking to. This is no respecter of persons. This doesn't make any difference if you're an old Christian or a baby Christian or not even a Christian. You need something in your life has to change today. Because none of us, myself included, have reached it. We all lack the fear of God. Because if we really feared God, we would be on our face in this place. We would be on our face, on our knees in this place, coming to the holy ground with no shoes on, like Calvin. We'd all be barefoot in this place. I'm serious. We would see God a whole different perspective if we really understood what God was. If we really understood the power, 
of who God is and what he can do and what he does for me and what he can do if I don't do something because we look at God as a big, benevolent, loving God, and he is. But he's also a very just God. He's also a very fair God. And he cannot do things out of his character. And his character is truth. It's truth. And I lie, when I cheat, when I steal, I am denying the truth of God. Therefore, I am not fearing God. And we all do it. I'm just as guilty as you are. I wrestled with this sermon this week, all week long. You need to know that when, I come, when any pastor comes and puts a message together, he doesn't just think about it Saturday night if he's doing his job. If he's hearing from God, he wrestles with it for a while. So you need to wrestle with it too. I want you to wrestle with this because this fear of God, if this doesn't settle into your spirit, then we have major problems. Then you have major problems. I'm not trying to downbeat anybody or trying to make them feel bad. I want them to see the fear of God and how significant and how important we must have. When we come before the Lord, it was mentioned before in Sunday school class that, that God has no grandchildren. Do you know what that means? It means that we don't get in by the coattails of somebody else. It means I don't care who my parents were. That doesn't mean anything for me when it comes to my relationship with Jesus. I have to have my own personal relationship with Jesus. And it's so important then that we have to have that. Because there are no grandchildren. And Moses knew that. If we go to Deuteronomy chapter 31. Chapter 31 of Deuteronomy, verses 11 through 13. It says, When all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God at the place he will choose, you shall read this law before them in their hearing. Assemble the people, men, women, and children, and the foreigners residing in your towns. So they can listen and learn to fear the Lord your God and follow carefully all the words of this law. Their children who do not know this law must hear it and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in a land you are crossing the Jordan to possess. We must teach our children. We must teach ourselves because it's not a natural fear that we have. We have other natural fears. We have fears of the world. We have fears of sin. That is what we naturally are. We're sinful people. We are a sinful people. That's how we were born. That's how we were created in this world because of the fall of, the, of, the, of the, the, the fall of Adam and Eve. We're sinful people. And the natural fear we have is the bad kind of fear. So we have to learn the God kind of fear. It doesn't come naturally. So we have to teach ourselves and we have to learn it. And God uses this healthy form of fear to help us understand our relationship to him and our relationship to each other. We'll see how fast your fingers can work here. Leviticus chapter 25. Verse 17, how do we help fear relate to ourselves and, our, and with God and to each other? It says, do not take advantage of each other, but fear your God. I am the Lord your God. If I'm fearing God, then I'm not going to take advantage of my brother. I'm not going to back talk about him. I'm not going to slander him. I'm not going to talk bad about him. If I'm fearing God, then my relationship with God will be right and my, my relationship with my brother will be right. Deuteronomy chapter 6, 
verses 1 through 2. Deuteronomy chapter 6, the first two verses, says, These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Let's read further down in the same chapter, chapter 6, verses 24 through 25. The Lord commanded us to obey all these decrees and to fear the Lord our God, so that we might always prosper and be kept alive, as is the case today. And if we are careful to obey all this law before the Lord our God, as he has commanded us, that will be our righteousness. And if you need more, go to chapter 10 of Deuteronomy. Chapter 10, verses 12 through 13, it says, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I'm giving you today for your own good. For whose good? For your own good. Fear the Lord for your own good. Fear man, fear the Lord. Fear man, you'll have the fear of the world. Fear God, you'll have prosperity. You'll have long life. You'll have all the promises that the, that the Lord is, is promised. And I know this is Old Testament. But the promises of the Old Testament are just as real today as they were then. Yes, we don't have sacrifices. Yes, we don't have the law of the Jewish law and the customs to, to have to deal with. But the promises are just as real for us today as they were then. If I, want to, if I want to live long in this life and if I want to have the best life I can live, then fear God. Then fear God. Then have that reverence for God and, and make it seven days a week. Sometimes we need, to, we need to have a remembering time that God has done something for us in the past and so that he can reteach us sometimes to fear the Lord. And the account of Joshua leading the Israelites over the Jordan River is a great example of how they were instructed to set up an altar of remembrance. Because there comes a time when I am doubtful. There comes a time when I am overcome by human fear. And I need to know that my God is who he says he is. And there are things in my life I need to go back to that I can reference. I have a, I've, had, I've had healings in my life. I've had times where I've been set free. I need to know. I need to go back to those times and remember that God is God. God is who he said he was. And this is a good example. Joshua is now given command of the Israelites after Moses has died. The um, Israelite people are getting ready to cross over to the promised land. That whole generation that came out of Egypt and that crossed the Red Sea had to, had to die off. Forty years had gone by. The whole generation died besides Joshua. So Joshua now is in taking them across the Jordan River. And what he's doing now, the Lord is telling him he's going, there's going to be another river crossing. Most of us don't even think about this one. When we think of the Old Testament river crossing, we're thinking about the Red Sea. But understand that the Israelites crossed two rivers. One, the Red Sea, and two, the River Jordan. 
They had to get across that river before they could possess the promised land. So how did they do it? Did they build a bridge? No. They saw God's power move one more time in their life. So what God told Joshua was pick one man from every tribe. Twelve tribes, twelve men, twelve priests. And they picked up the Ark of the Covenant. And as they walked into the River Jordan, and this time of the year was in the rainy season, so the river was high. It was at its highest point. The banks were overflowing. And as they stepped into the water, as the priests started to walk into the water, there's so much here because they had to walk into the water. They had to first take a step. The water was right there, and they had to take a step. And as they stepped in the water, the water started to part. And they took another step. It parted further. It parted further. Every step they took, the river parted further. They got to the middle of the river. The river parted. Now, here's what happened. The, the, the priests stayed in the middle of the river, and all the Israelites passed through. Now, there was probably a million or two million of these people by now. Big, big, a lot of number of people, huge number. The, the, the priests are in the middle. They pass by. All the people get on the other side. Now God tells Joshua, take 12 more people, 12 more men, and go out in the middle of the river and pick up heavy stones and bring 12 stones from the middle of the river. Sounds like a crazy thing to do, but they did. They brought 12 stones up, and he says, now make an altar. Take them on dry ground and then make an altar. So they got the 12 stones up. All the people are through the... um, priests take the Ark of the Covenant, they walk through and they get on the other side and as soon as they get on the other side, the water comes back and it floods the river again to the high point that it was. And let's read why. Go to Joshua chapter 4 verse 18. And the priests came up out of the river carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. No sooner had they set their feet on the dry ground than the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and ran at flood stage as before. Go to verse 20 of Joshua 4. And Joshua set up at Gilgal the twelve stones they had taken out of the Jordan. He said to the Israelites, In the future, when your descendants ask their parents, What do these stones mean? Tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know the hand of the Lord is powerful, and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. See, whenever God does something miraculous, the word fear always has to come into it, because we have to learn from that. We learn the fear of the Lord. And what is interesting is that uh, all the people that had passed through here, they did not have to... Just remember what happened to their grandparents that had crossed the Red Sea because, remember, they were all gone. So why did God say set the, set the, the, the altar up on the new side, or the dry side, or the, the Jordan, the, the, um, the promised land side of the Jordan River? It's because that generation did not cross the Red Sea. They crossed the Jordan River. So that point of remembrance was their experience. They then could go back and teach their children about my experience crossing the River Jordan, not having to go back to uh, my grandparents talked about the Red Sea. No, I experienced the River Jordan. 
And now I set my stones, my altar of remembrance up on my side so that when I, when I forget, when I have a tendency to, to, to doubt, I go back to the altar that was set up that I was a part of. That's why God's experiences are so important in our life. We can read the books. We can read the Bible. We can read all the self-help books. But if we don't have the experience of the relationship of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit in our life, then it is just book knowledge and not real knowledge. You see the difference? Why it's so important that we have to have relationship? Why it's so important that we linger at the altar? Why it's so important that we don't rush through that? That we don't say, oh, just get on with it, will you? Because we have to have the experience. And if you don't have the experience, you don't have the fear of the Lord. You don't have it. I'm sorry, you just don't have it. If you, all you do is come to church to, to hear the preacher preach and to sing a few songs out of the songbook and then go home, you don't have the fear of the Lord. It has to be an experience. It has to settle in your soul. It has to be who you are. That's the fear of the Lord. And we all need more of it. One more example of the Old Testament, because I want to make sure that you get it. Samuel. Samuel was a prophet, and Samuel, at this point in time, was leading the Israelites, um, and God was their king. They had no king set up at this point in time. They were led by prophets, and Samuel was a prophet of the Lord, and he was, he was God's mouthpiece. And that was the way God wanted it to be. God didn't want them to have a king. God wanted them to depend on him. But the people saw what was happening in the neighborhood. And in the neighborhood, all the other people had kings. They had um, leaders that they could see and they could hear them. And they felt that's what they needed. So they asked Samuel to give us a king. We want a king. We want a physical presence to lead us. And God was grieved by this, quite honestly, because they weren't depending on him. Oh, there's a lot of lessons in here for us, too. So anyway, Samuel heard and he prayed, and this is what happened. 1 Samuel chapter 12, verses 12 through 24. 1 Samuel chapter 12, verses 12 through 24. But when you saw that Nahash, king of the Ammonites, was moving against you, you said to me, No, this is the Israelites talking to Samuel, No, we want a king to rule over us, even though the Lord your God was your king. See, <laughs> they wanted a king, even though the Lord your God was your king, Samuel. See, Samuel had the relationship, not the people. And they wanted a king. Rather than going to God and making their relationship with God, they wanted a relationship with a king. So, he said, so they said, Samuel, since God is your God, we want our king. So now here's the king you have chosen, the one you asked for. This is Samuel speaking. See, the Lord has set a king over you. If you fear the Lord, again, there's that word, if you fear the Lord and serve and obey him and do not rebel against his commands... And if both you and the king who reigns over you follow the Lord your God, good. But if you do not obey the Lord, and if you rebel against his commands, his hand will be against you as it was against your ancestors. Now then, stand still and see this great thing the Lord is about to do before your eyes. 
Is it now wheat harvest? Is it not wheat harvest now? I will call on the Lord to send thunder and rain. And as you realize what an evil thing you did in the eyes of the Lord when you asked for a king, then Samuel called on the Lord. And at that same day, the Lord sent thunder and rain. So all the people stood in awe of the Lord and of Samuel. And the people said to Samuel, pray to the Lord your God. Again, they're going to Samuel, you pray to the Lord your God for your servants so that we will not die. For we have added to all our other sins the evil of asking for a king. And then Samuel said, basically, here's what happened. He says, be careful what you ask for. You ask for a king, I'm going to give you a king. <laughs> you ask for it, now you deal with it. Okay? And he says, do not be afraid, Samuel replied. You have done all this evil. Yet do not turn away from the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. Do not turn away after useless idols. They can do for you no good, nor can they rescue you because they are useless. For the sake of his great name, the Lord will not reject his people, because the Lord was pleased to make you his own. As for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you, and I will teach you the way that is good and right. What Samuel is saying here is it's his job to train him. It's his job to pray for them. It's his job to call them to higher living. It's his job to call them to a personal relationship with God. What I'm saying, that's my job. To call you and to call me to a higher relationship with God. That's what I'm doing. That's why I preach the word. That's why I'm up here. And that's why I, I struggle sometimes with the things I preach. It's not because I want to. Believe me, I would much rather preach something that's easy to hear. Because then it's easier for me. But when the Samuel says, far be it from me, I have to say the same thing. Far be it from me. I'm going to tell you what it is to fear the Lord and to fear God. Verse 24, but be sure to feel the... Be sure to fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. Consider what great things he has done for you. Yet if you persist in doing evil, both you and your king will perish. So be careful what you ask for. God is not a genie in the box and he does not just give you everything you desire. But if you ask for something that's less, then you have to deal with it. If you say, no, God, I'm not going to deal with anything less. I fear you. I have a reverence for you. I want only what you want for me. I will do whatever it takes in my life to have the fear of God in my life. Then you can expect the best from God. But if you settle, he'll give you what you ask for. You'll settle. And then you'll deal with it. And then you'll have a life of continual sin. You'll have habits. You'll have, you'll have habitual sin in your life. You'll have a life of defeat. You will have a life of, of compromise, a life of mediocrity. Is that what you want? Or do you want to live a life of fullness, of the joy of the Lord? Or do you want to have and have his peace that transcends all understanding? Yes, he's not going to take your problems away. Because just like he didn't take the problems away for the, for the priests, they stayed in the middle of the river. What's significant about that is the priest didn't get to get through and run out. They stayed where the threat was. Because how did they know? How did they know that that river wasn't going to be unleashed at any time? 
How did they know that, it was, that God was going to be there for them? They were in the middle of the river. And if you can imagine what that must have been like, this river was, was stationary and it was a wall of water. And we all know the power of water, how, how, how damaging it can be and how strong it can be. But the, but the priests stood in the middle of the river until they all got across. God doesn't just deliver us sometimes out of the problems. He makes us walk through the problems. But he always gives us his assurance that if we do right, if we fear God, then he will be there for us. And he will not compromise with us. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 29. Oh, that their hearts would be inclined to fear me. And keep all my commands always, so that it might go well with them and their children forever. There's, God does not want to hurt you. God does not want to hurt you. Understand that. That is a lie that comes against us all the time that we think God is out to get me. He is not out to get you. God loves you. He wants to protect you. He wants to do good for you. He wants to give you the desires that you want in your heart. Oh, that their hearts would be inclined to fear me. To fear me. To have reverential awe of me. And to keep all my commands so that it might go well with them and their children forever. What a promise is that? Doesn't that just make you want to just well up and praise God and just say thank you, Jesus, for that promise? And I really believe that, that the biggest reason that we have in many of our lives in this constant state of defeat and struggle with habitual sin is that we've lost the fear of the Lord. When we stop having that holy fear of God, we start living without restraint and boundaries. We begin to think that we're untouchable. And we're not accountable. That's narcissism. And it's wrong. And we need to stop. As we conclude, I go back to my premise of this discussion. That we have lost the fear of God in our lives and we've, and we've replaced it with the fear of man. And that fear of man says, I don't want to look foolish. I'm, an, I'm too prideful. I'm not going to raise my hands. I'm not going to come to the altar. I'm not going to show people that I praise Jesus. Why? Because I'm too prideful. That is a fear of man. And if that's who you're fearing, then don't expect God to answer your prayers. Don't expect God to be there when you're, when you're dark days and you need somebody to help you because if you don't acknowledge Christ, if you don't acknowledge God, He is not going to acknowledge you. So if you're fearing your perception, if your pride issue is so strong that you cannot bow down, you cannot bear your soul before God, you cannot get a little emotional, you cannot raise your hands, you cannot let the Holy Spirit come in in your life, then who do you think you are? Then you're bigger than God. You're not fearing God, you're fearing man. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28-29 through says, since therefore we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. 
For our God is a consuming fire. If you go on living the same way, you're dealing with a consuming fire. Revelations chapter 19:11. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse, whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice, he judges and wages war. We see Jesus as a benevolent Savior, but yet he's going to come as a warrior. He is going to come on a white horse. He is going to come judging the sin of this world. And if you don't fear him now, you will then. If you don't fear him now in your state of sin, you will fear him then. So what do you want to do? Where do you want to live? Listen, if we want to win this this city of Shalloway for Christ, we have to have fear starting in the house of God right here, right now. We cannot go out in this world and be conquerors if we don't fear God. Oh, Jesus. If we don't fear him, if we don't have an awe of who he is, the consuming fire that he is, that he wants to consume from me right now the sin, and if I come willfully to him, and if I give him my sin, he'll consume the sin of my life and I'll, and I'll be saved because he'll burn the dross in my life. He'll burn out the sin of my life, but he'll save me as my, and my soul will be saved. But if I don't do it now, And if he comes at the white horse, if he comes as a warrior on a white horse, and if I haven't done this now, then I am lost. And I burn up. Not my sin, but I do. Because now is the day of salvation. Now is the time. This doesn't make any difference if you're a new Christian or an old Christian. We all have fallen short of the glory of God. And we all need to come now and get a higher level, a deeper level, a closer walk with Christ. The closer you get to a fire, the hotter it gets. The closer you get to the consuming fire, the hotter it gets. If you want sin burned out of your life, then you've got to get close to the fire. If, you just, if you're comfortable with being warm and be complacent and to play the game of Christianity, then stay away then stay back where I can feel the fire. Oh, I can feel it. It feels good. I'm feeling very comfortable right now. But it's not doing any work in my life. It's not burning out the dross of my life. It's not burning out the sin of my life. But I'm really comfortable because I'm close enough. I'm playing the game of church. But if I want that consuming fire to do its work, then I've got to get close to the fire. I've got to submerge myself in a fire, and I've got to let that fire burn out the sin. And I've got to be a new man so that I walk out of here. I'm not who I was when I walked in. Because Jesus says, come as you are, but don't leave as you were. Come as you are. I'll take your sin and I'll burn it up. And I'll send you out of here a new man. That then you can be powerful and you have the fear of God in your life. Oh, Jesus. we got to close by coming to the front. Please, if you'd stand with me and just come up to the front. Listen, there's power here today, people. We need the power of God. We cannot play games. We don't know how long we have. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We need to seek the power of God. And we need to have Him and we need to invite Him in our presence. And if, if you know what? If you need to go, you're free to go. 
If this is hard for you, if you if you want to leave, you can leave. But this is the power of God calling us in now into the fire of God. And if we want that all-consuming fire in our life, if we want that sin burn out of our life, this is the time. And if you have the fear of God, you should be on your face seeking His presence and seeking Him. This is not a time to play games. This is the time where the Holy Spirit's coming into our life and He's going to save us. Oh, Father, forgive us, Jesus. Forgive us, Father, the times we've walked into this place time and time again and we haven't given you the power. We haven't given you the authority. We haven't had a fear of you. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. Give us that fear. Give us that reverential fear and that awesomeness of who you are and burn out the dross in our life. Burn it out, Jesus. Hallelujah. Close your eyes and pray. Pray with all you have. Pray like your life depends on it because it does. I can't pray for you. I cannot pray for you. You have to pray for yourself. You should be praying. You should be have your face to the floor, your hands raised, whatever your situation you need to be, and make sure that you are in the fire of God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, Father, we just come before you in Jesus' name. Lord, bring us new life into this place. Lord, we're not playing games anymore. We don't have time to play games. We love you, Father. We worship you, Father. There are lives that are here that are sick, that are sacrificed to you already, and we have given you our lives, Father. But, Father, take out the areas that you don't like. Clean us, Lord. Let the fire of the Holy Spirit come in our lives. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, if anybody needs special prayer, now is the time to pray. If anybody wants to come up and have special prayer, everybody loves you here. There is no judgment going on here. This is a time where the Lord will see your your sin. He'll see your confession. He'll see your honesty and your integrity. This is not a time to be prideful. This is not a time to be fearing man and fearing what they think of you. Maybe you've been in this church in a long time, and maybe you've never received Christ. Or maybe you have and you've been playing a game. Now is the time to stop it. This is the time for God to come in and accept you and give you the fear of God. One more time. One more time. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. If you need prayer, if you need prayer, now is the time. If you want to be, if you want to be prayed for, let us know. Raise your hand. Come up to the front. Let's just pray. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, Father. Hallelujah, Father. Hallelujah, Jesus. We receive from you today. Lord, we receive from you today everything you have for us. Let us settle for nothing less than the fear of God, we pray in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Everybody be praying, please. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Lord, we pray for Sam.
to recognize that the enemy comes in in moments like this and he says this is not real. But this is not real. It's emotion. But let me tell you what. The power of God drives emotion. Nothing wrong with emotion. Nothing wrong with a broken heart. Nothing wrong with a tear that flows from the eye. That's not a joke. That's That's real stuff. Don't be embarrassed of that. Stand against the enemy. Do not let him come in and steal from you what God has placed in your heart today. This truth that was placed in your heart today was there for a reason. Do not let the enemy come in and steal this from you today. The fear of the Lord. You know what drives out fear? Perfect love. You know what perfect love is? God. God is love. God is perfect love. God drives out all fear. So if you have fear in your life today, understand that God has the answer. He is the answer. He is the answer. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Now as you go this week, go out this week and do not forget these words that the Lord has spoken today through, the med, through, through what Jim said and through what Dick said and through what the Word was today. Settle in on that. Think about that. Be a light today. Be a light this week that others would be drawn to you and invite them in here next week. Invite them into this presence. Let's, let's grow our, our, our personal lives with a fear of God and let's witness community for Jesus. Hallelujah.
Father, we just thank you for this day. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for being with us today. We thank you for ministering in our spirit, in our presence today, God. Lord, we revere, we revere you. We are, we are awed over you. We fear you, Father. But give us a new fear every day. Let it not just come in today and be gone tomorrow. Lord, help us to walk in the reverence and the fear of God. I ask this in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. You're welcome to stay here and pray and worship as long as you'd like to. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus.